Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live.
thank you, Father, that we can join together one accord and one mind in the name of Jesus Christ. I ask, Father, that you help us to understand more today through the revelation of your word. That by the time this service ends today, that we will have a better comprehension of reality, of the days ahead, what to expect, that we may be prepared mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and physically for the days ahead. That we won't be caught unaware like the world will, but that we will know what to expect. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. In the name of Jesus Christ, ask that your will be done. Let there be no hindrances to this broadcast. Let there be no hindrances to this service. Let there be no hindrances to this word. Let there be no hindrances to the receiving, reception, and understanding of this word. For the glorification of the name of Jesus and for the edification of the saints of God. In the name of Jesus, so be Amen. Praise God. Well, today, we're going to be reading again about the strong delusion and understanding more about it. And the Father's given me more proof that it is going to be uh, seeing the son of perdition, the Antichrist, in the sky. He's given me more proof in the scripture that it is something that we're going to actually be able to see in the sky. That the Antichrist, the son of perdition, will manifest himself in the sky, not on the Temple Mount, not on the Temple Mount alone, but in the sky. And we're going to talk about World War Three, Gog Magog War, and related information. And so we're going to start in the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, here in a minute, 2 Thessalonians 2. But I would also encourage you that as we go through this today, that if questions come to your mind about the strong delusion, about Assad, about World War III, about the Great Tribulation, that you write down those questions so that you don't forget them at the end if you don't see the questions being answered in the sermon itself, maybe you can go ahead and email those questions to me. And then at the end of the broadcast, I will have a question and answer session. And if it's only the one or two people that is connected to the broadcast right now, then I will probably just open up the uh, uh the internet and phone lines for you to actually verbally uh, ask your questions on the air. Uh, but if there are a lot of other people, I may just, by the time the broadcast comes to an end, we may just do the email. Either way, I would like to try to answer your questions specifically about the end time. And so I encourage you to uh, either way email me 
some questions, and I will still try to do an audio question session as well, possibly, maybe. Now, if you don't have my email address, it's admin, which is the abbreviation for administration. So that's A-D-M-I-N, A-D-M-I-N, admin, at I saw the light ministries.com. Admin, A-D-M-I-N, at, A, at I saw the light ministries.com. You can email your questions there, and I will be glad to try to get to those and try to answer them before we hang up today. For the record, today's date in the Roman, Roman Catholic calendar is August the 20th, 2016 A.D., in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In God's created calendar, it is the 18th day of the fifth month. 18th day of the fifth month. So now we're just slightly less, three days less, than two months away from the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Day of Atonement comes five days before that, and uh, the Feast of Trumpets comes like nine days before that. So <clears throat> we're uh, only, uh, only really only a month and a half away from the Holy Days, even less than a month and a half away from the Holy Days. So they're coming up very quickly. And I will try, uh, if the Father allows me to do so, I will try to be doing some teachings uh, before they come, before the Holy Days come, try to do some teachings about them, both in the newsletter and online, as well as in the broadcasts as well, hopefully. Maybe even maybe some YouTube videos, maybe, if I can get around to it. <clears throat> Today's topic is why the majority will worship the Antichrist. Why the majority of the world, and we will see scriptures that says that the whole world will worship him. The whole world. That's not a small group. That's not just Middle Easterns. That's not just Syrians or Catholics. That's not uh, just unbelievers or any particular group. But it's the majority of the world. We're going to read those scriptures and we're going to learn why that the majority of all mankind will worship the Antichrist, the son of perdition president of Syria. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. So he says right away that what I want to talk to you about is the coming of Jesus Christ and us being gathered to him. Now, that's what most people would call the rapture, but the Bible calls it the catching up or the gathering. And so we're going to be gathered to Jesus Christ. And one thing I have to ask here is, if Jesus is not God, like the Jehovah Witnesses and other Antichrist people claim, if Jesus is not God, 
then why is it that Jesus is the one that comes to gather the saints unto himself? Amen? If Jesus is only a human who has gone to heaven, why does this human come back in the sky for every knee to bow to him? The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow to a human. That would be breaking the commandments to bow to and worship a human. Why is it that Jesus comes rather than God? If Jesus is not God, why, why would not God himself come to the saints and gather the saints to himself? Why is it Jesus if Jesus is not God? So it's very, very clear that Jesus is God. And it says right here, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the scriptures in Ephesians says there is one Lord. And all throughout the Old Testament, it calls God Lord, as far as at least in the Bibles that we have today. And so we're being gathered to him. It says right here about his coming, about us gathering to him. Why is he gathering people to himself? Is he, if he's not God, wouldn't that, that would mean, if he's not God, it would mean that he is like Lucifer, that he is like a fallen angel trying to gather troops to worship him or follow him instead of God. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus' character. Jesus is not anti-Christ. Jesus is not anti-God. Jesus has never tried to overthrow God. But if Jesus is not God, then we must believe that Jesus tries to overthrow, overthrow the throne of God because he's gathering everybody to himself. And we can't believe that. We can't believe that because that would go totally contrary to the scriptures. Amen. Well, this is definitely a verse that the Antichrist people, Jehovah's Witnesses, would not like for you to bring up to them because this verse, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1, proves that Jesus is God. Amen. Now that word coming there in Greek is a specific, specific Greek word that does not mean the same as I am coming to your house or I'm coming to town or I'm going this or going there. It's a different Greek word from a normal just coming here or going there. This particular Greek word for coming in this verse is used uh, only 24 times, 23 or 24 times in Scripture in the New Testament. And out of those 23 or 24 times, it is used 17 times to specifically 
uh, speak of the actual second coming of Jesus Christ 17 times. And the other times, it is mostly used for Paul or Titus or other representatives of Christ coming to the people as official ambassadors and official government representatives of Jesus Christ, representing Jesus, bringing forth his word. But mostly, more than anything else, it is used to refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ, and that's the way it's used in this verse. Now, in verse 2, concerning the coming of the Lord, verse 2 it says that you not be quickly shaken from your proposer or be disturbed either by spirit or message or letter as if from us to the effect that that day of the Lord, talking about Jesus, not calling him a Lord, but the Lord has come. But yet that's why they do every Sunday in the majority of the Baptist and Pentecostal churches and other denominations as well, saying that the Lord or Jesus could come today, could come tonight, could come tomorrow. And when they say such things, they're going contrary to this word. Amen. And so, when we hear people say such things, we should pull out this verse and stand up in the midst of the congregation, if we're still attending with Babylon, and speak forth this verse to their faces and call them liars to their face is what we should do and speak out against lies and deceptions and false teachers to their face in the midst of the congregation. Yes, we have not yet left the church of Satan that they call the Baptist church, the church of Satan that they call the Pentecostal church, and the church of Satan, which they call the Lutheran church and the Catholic church and the Jehovah Witness and the Seventh-day Adventist and all the other churches of Satan if we have not yet left the church of Satan, then we should stand up in its midst and reveal their lives and share these holy scriptures. Now it says here in verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you. Don't let your pastor deceive you. Don't let these false prophets deceive you. For that day will not come unless or until the apocalypse comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction or the son of perdition, it can say, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So this is very clearly talking about what people today call the Antichrist, but the Bible does not call him the Antichrist. It's just uh, one more example of how the 
false preachers of the world who don't know the Bible use these terms to teach you their deception and program and brainwash you what they believe because somebody taught them and the person that taught them did not know the Bible and the person that taught them did not know the Bible and the person that taught them did not know the Bible and now they're teaching you to not know the Bible. But Jesus told us to not let men deceive us and here Paul tells us to not, not let men deceive us for the pre-tribulation rapture is a lie. And this right here verse proves it. And this is such a solid, 100% undeniable proof, proof that the pre-trib rapture is a deception. Proof. You cannot twist this verse. It's as clear as day and is as easy to understand as ABC. It is that simple. It's not complex at all. That day of the coming of the Lord shall not come until the Antichrist, using their own language, comes first. Now, how does he come? Does he stand on the temple mount, or does he come in the sky like Jesus does? And notice that word, apocalypse. King James says, fallen away. But what we need to understand is that this is not the same kind of falling away that we saw in the 1800s or 1900s or 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. It's not the same type of falling away or not the same degree of falling away as we're already seeing. But this is something much deeper, much more severe. We need to understand the magnitude of the reality. We need to comprehend what an intense, severe falling away that it's going to be. Most of us thought or believed or assumed or imagined that the Antichrist would stand on the Temple Mount or, or in a Jewish temple or somewheres and would have millions of people to worship him and follow him, that it would mostly be Catholics or Muslims or lost people. But what we need to understand is the Greek word for falling away or apocalypse here is a unique Greek word, a very unique Greek word that is of great intensity. It's a very severe falling away. It's not just somebody that backslides, but rather it means that people outright reject Jesus Christ outright reject Jesus. 
And in the context of this chapter and verse, it goes even beyond that. That they are outright rejecting and denying Jesus Christ while embracing the son of perdition, the Antichrist. So it's breaking the first commandment that thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's breaking that first commandment that shall have no other gods. It's rejecting the true God and embracing a anti-God, an anti-God, a false God. It's turning to Satan and Satan's dominion. It's not just a simple falling away. It's not just a simple backsliding. It's not just a simple losing faith. It's not just a simple going back into the sense of lifestyle. But it's an outright in the face slap to Jesus Christ. It is hatred against Jesus, turning their back against Jesus, denying Jesus, rejecting Jesus outright while embracing and accepting and worshiping a demon over and above God. Worshiping a demon over and above God. That is severe. Severe. And it will not be just the Catholics or just the Muslims or just the unbelievers, but it is going to be the majority of the world, the majority of people that you actually know, the majority of people in your neighborhood, the majority of your family, the majority of people you know in your life, in your own neighborhood. This is of huge magnitude. And I'm going to prove everything that I've said from the scriptures. Now it says here in verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. That's exalting himself above Jesus. And people will embrace him as God above every God. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, and there's only one temple of God, in all of creation, as far as like an actual building, we know that our bodies are temples of God, but that's not what this is talking about because the son of perdition, the Antichrist, cannot sit in our bodies. That's impossible. So that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about him sitting in the true church because the son of perdition cannot sit 
in the true body of Christ, in the true believers. That is impossible. The only thing it possibly could be talking about is only a physical temple in heaven. It cannot even be talking about a temple on earth, a Jewish temple or a third temple or a rebuilt temple. Impossible, absolutely, totally impossible for it to be talking about such a building because if the Jews were to build such a building, the scriptures would not call it the temple of God. It would be called the temple of the Jews or the temple of the Antichrist or the temple of the Son of Perdition or the temple of the Muslims or, or something like that. But this ain't none of that. This is the temple of God. And this temple of God has the seat of God inside of it. And the sign of perdition will sit in that seat, which is the seat of God, in the temple of God, showing or displaying himself as God. King James says, showing. Showing or displaying that he is God. So that's huge. That is a huge manifestation. That's much, much more than somebody standing or sitting on the Temple Mount or in a Jewish rebuilt temple. It's much more than that. Verse 5, do you, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now. There is a restraining angel because in the Bible, every time that something is restrained, it is angels that restrain. So this is talking about Michael the archangel. According to, according to Daniel 12, verse 1, it's talking about Michael the archangel restraining Assad from taking the seat of God. For now, that restraining is taking place. Assad right now is not being allowed to take the seat of God yet. He's being restrained from doing so so that in his time he will be revealed. In his time, meaning in due time, at the right appointed time, he will be revealed. Assad will be revealed for who he really is. But now we need to understand the Greek word for revealed here is more than just a revelation of your thinking or revelation of belief or convincing people that he is God. It's more than a mental thought or mental revelation. This word revealed means to actually be manifested in a way that is visible to your eyes. This word revealed means to be manifested and be seen with your eyes. Now, we can already see a thought but right now we only see him as a human. But this talks about in the context here seeing him in a agentic form, like an angel, but looking more even like God, being seen in heaven, being manifested to where you can actually see him with your eyes in heaven, that you will actually be able to see Assad on the throne of God in the temple of God in heaven. 
Now, to help prove that, and this is the new information, that same word for revealed there in verse 6 is found in a couple of other places. So if you want to put a bookmark, pencil, bookmark, piece of paper or something right here, and we'll come back to it, and just turn a little bit to the left here, a couple pages, and go to 1 Thessalonians. One Th- I mean, not 1 Thessalonians, but 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, just the previous chapter over here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7 says, And to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. So, when Jesus does come after the tribulation, after the wrath, when the real Jesus actually does come from heaven, it uses that same word revealed. And it's the same Greek word for the revealing of the son of perdition. So in both cases, in both cases, it is an actual visualization with your eyes, something that you actually see with your eyes, and it's not something that you just have a mental uh, picture of or a mental realization, but something you actually see with your eyes. And then there's another verse over in 1 Peter, over there closer to the book of Revelation, 1 Peter chapter 1. One Peter chapter 1, verse 13. One Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your mind. Amen. That is why God has given me this message today. Your minds need to be prepared for what you're going to see. So it won't scare you. Amen. If you know what to expect, you will not be frightened. You won't have to be scared. You're going to know exactly what is occurring and what to expect next. So why fear? Because God is real. God knew in advance all this was going to happen and told you about it and prepared you for it. How great God is. How how great God is. Amen. We don't have to be scared when it happens because we know in advance how it's going to happen and that it will happen and what's going to happen next. How great. What a wonderful gift that God has given us. 
to teach us these things in advance. Amen. Praise God. So prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit and fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this doesn't mean to come to know Christ, but it means to actually see Christ when he comes. The same Greek word, the revelation of Jesus Christ, to actually see Jesus coming in the sky. So we go back to 2 Thessalonians now. The same Greek word used in verse 6, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 6, where your bookmark is. Verse 6, that word revealed. The son of perdition, the Antichrist, is going to be seen with your eyes in the temple of God. We're going to be able to see him in heaven in the temple of God. Now, he's not going to look like the skinny man that he is now. He's going to look huge and bright. He's going to be looking like God to some some extent. Now, I don't believe that every eye will see him. I believe there will be a lot of people that won't see him because they're inside working or they're sleeping or whatever. I don't believe that every eye will see him like it's going to happen with Jesus. The Bible says when Jesus comes, every eye will see him. But I don't believe that will happen with Esau. But still yet, a lot of people will because that's going to be an amazing sight. People will be calling one another. It'll be breaking news. It'll be live, live filming of it, broadcasting of it on the TV and on the Internet. They'll probably be breaking in, breaking news on the radio and TV. It'll be the talk everywhere. People will be calling you up or running over to your house real quick to tell you about. It'll be big. It'll be huge. It's going to be a major earth-shattering event. It's going to be a huge event. We need to prepare our minds for these things. Don't be frightened if you do see it. And if you don't see it in person, you'll see it on the news. And they'll be playing it over and over and over and over, showing the whole world a thought in the sky. And it'll be revealed later that it's the president of Syria. But when people first see it, they ain't going to know it's the president of Syria. They won't know that. So a lot of your own family your own friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, people you know, when they see it, they're going to fall to their knees and worship that demon over and above Jesus. They're going to worship him as God. Your family, 
your friends, your neighbors, people in your own community is going to worship him as God. The purpose of the pre-tribulation rapture doctrine which the majority of Americans believe in. The purpose of that pre-trib rapture is to prepare the people's minds to worship the Antichrist. That is the express purpose of the pre-trib rapture doctrine. That is exactly why Satan the devil invented the pre-trib rapture doctrine is to program and brainwash people's minds so that when they see it, they're going to worship a demon rather than God. Now, this would be many more people than just those that believe in the pre-trib rapture. It will be a lot of people will worship him who do not believe in the pre-trib rapture. And they will say, oh no, I was wrong. He is coming back in the pre-trib rapture. When they see this, a lot of people, millions of people, will say, well, I was wrong. Here's the rapture. And worship him. So both the pre-tribbers and those that are not pre-tribbers will both worship him because it's going to be an amazing sight and they will think it is God or Jesus. But it won't be. So don't be deceived. If you see it, don't be deceived. Prepare your mind to not worship him. That regardless of how big or bright that he looks that you still do not worship him. Amen. Because the Bible says right here that the one who people will see first will be the Antichrist. Now both Jesus and the Antichrist both is going to be seen coming in the sky. But the one that comes first, according to this chapter and according to the entire Bible, is the Antichrist. Now, I'm just using the language of the people. We know the Bible calls him the son of perdition. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains Michael the prince will do so until he is taken out of the way. Michael the archangel will step aside to allow this to happen. Verse 8, then that lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, meaning seen with your eyes, whom the Lord will slay eventually with the breath of his mouth. Jesus will destroy Assad with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance, the revealing of Jesus coming. 
Now that word coming there uh, is that is that same Greek word I told you that refers to the actual true coming of Jesus Christ seventeen times. That is the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. Now it's talking about a different coming, a false coming. So you got two comings here, one in verse eight and one in verse nine. It's the same Greek word both times. And so the appearance of his coming in verse eight is talking about the appearance of Jesus Christ. But in verse nine, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan is the coming of the Antichrist. But they both use the same Greek word. Even though this Greek word refers to the actual second coming of Jesus Christ 17 times, yet this time, in verse 9, it refers to a false coming of Christ, which is actually the coming of the Antichrist. And it says, in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. So Assad is not just going to be just standing on the Temple Mount. This is going to be something with all power. Just like the Bible says that Jesus is going to come with all power. Well, so is the Antichrist going to come with power. It's going to be a powerful event with signs and false wonders. Amen. Verse 10, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send them a deluding influence. King James says, strong delusion so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Amen. Now let's go over to Revelation 13, the book of Revelation chapter 13. I hope that you're learning and understanding better and comprehending better because I know that even though we've been talking about this week after week after week now, and it's been a while now since Jesus gave this information to us, but I still don't understand it fully. I still don't really fully comprehend it because this is going to be so big that it's hard for us to really comprehend it. It takes time for this to soak in. It's taking time for us to really comprehend what we're going to see, what we're going to witness, what the world is going to be like. We can't comprehend all of this in one week. It's going to take time for this to sink in. But the more that it sinks in, the more that we really comprehend 
the severity and the magnitude of this, then the better that we'll be able to handle it once it does happen so that it will come to no shock to us. Amen. And also, that we may understand the importance of getting this warning out to the people now before it happens. The people need to know about this. This is so extremely important. This is huge. This is really, really huge. We've got to get this word out there to the people. Amen. This is really important to get this word out there to the people. Regardless of how much they mock and laugh and ridicule and think we're crazy, we've got to get this out there to the people. Even if they don't accept, maybe we might be surprised. Maybe one person will be prevented from worshiping the Antichrist when this happens. And if so, then all the laughing and all the mocking and all the ridicule would have been worth it because after all if you know that somebody is planning to commit murder if you know somebody somebody you actually know and you know they're planning to commit murder or rob a bank or some other big major crime Would not you try to talk them out of it? Of course you would. You would try to talk them out of it. You would warn them about the police. You would warn them about prison and about danger. You would talk them out of committing that crime. Well, guess what? We have knowledge that somebody we know is going to worship the Antichrist and break the first commandment that thou shalt have no God before me, no other gods. We know who's going to do it. We know who is weak. When that amazing sight, sky splits open, and they've been programmed their whole life that when that sky splits open, it's going to be Jesus coming. We know who believes that. We know who is brainwashed. They're planning on worshiping the Antichrist. They don't know that that's what they're going to be doing, but they're planning on it. They are planning to commit suicide by worshiping the Antichrist. We've got to warn them that it's not going to be God, it's not going to be Jesus, that maybe they might at least have that second thought. And what I tell people is when you see it, even if you don't believe me right now, when you see it happen, 
just wait a few seconds and see if you're being caught up or not. What I tell people is, if it really is preacher rapture and it really is Jesus, well, you'll be caught up. If you're really saved and really living for God, you'll be caught up if it really is the preacher of rapture. So wait a few seconds. And if you're not being caught up, why? Why are you not being caught up? Wait a few more seconds. Wait a minute. Wait two minutes. Why are you still not caught up? Do not bow to this image until you are called up. If you're a Christian and it really is the pre-trib rapture, you're going to be called up pretty quickly into heaven and you will have all the time for the rest of your life, for the rest of eternity, to bow and worship Jesus. So just wait a few seconds and test the spirits. Wait a few seconds. Wait a minute. Wait two minutes to make for sure who it is before you worship, before you raise your hands in worship, or before you bow in worship. Wait, wait, wait. That is what I'm telling people. It won't hurt to wait a couple of minutes to make for sure that it really is Jesus and that it really is the rapture and that you really are going to be called up. If we can just get people to wait a couple of minutes, hopefully they will come to their senses, calm down a little bit, think a little bit, remember a little bit about what you said, and test the spirits. Now, a lot of people even those that believe in the preacher of rapture, when they're not called up five minutes later, 30 minutes later, two hours later, you know what they're going to think? They're still going to think it was the rapture and they was left behind. <laughs> they're still not going to believe the truth. They're still going to think it was the rapture, but they were left behind. Oops, I missed the rapture. I saw it, I witnessed it, but I did not go. They're still, the hearts are so brainwashed, their minds are so brainwashed that they still won't realize what the truth is. But now, a few hours later or the next day or within the next few days or weeks, hopefully, they will start coming to their senses and they will have a better realization of what really happened as they see Assad claiming to be God and as they continue to replay the tape over and over and over showing that it was Assad. Maybe eventually they will come around to the truth about what happened. And especially if they were told in advance that it was going to happen, and that they were told in advance that Assad would claim to be God and everybody's going to worship Assad as God. Now let's get some more scriptures to back up all this. In Revelation 13, verse 1. 
Revelation 13, verse 1. And the dragon stood, which is Satan, stood on the sand of the seashore. And the seashore is the Mediterranean Sea there at the Syrian coastline. And I, John, saw a beast coming up out of the sea, out of the Mediterranean Sea. Now what Jesus showed me last night, or today, whichever one it was, the word beast here literally means monster. (laughs) Praise God. Monster. It actually means a wild animal, but it also can mean monster. And it says in the notes in my uh, study Bible uh, of the publisher, it says a beast, literally a monster. So basically, a uh, monster is a frightening thing. A frightening thing. And it's typically uh, like a um, either like a um, it's not the same as ghosts but it's more like a physical manifestation of something that you can see that is dark and evil, and it's kind of like a beast, kind of like an animal, a wild animal, but it's weird. It's kind of like a, 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 a hybrid between different animals. Uh, it's mysterious. Uh, it's like, uh, 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 like with uh, Godzilla. It's kind of like a half between a whale and a gorilla. Uh, so it's like a uh, uh, hybrid, which is in this case uh, perhaps a hybrid of uh, fallen angels and human or statue or something. Uh, so there's a lot to think about with this Greek word here for beast. And in Arabic, in Arabic, it is the same. Uh, word that is Assad's true last name. His grandfather changed the family name from that particular Arabic word, which John didn't write it in Arabic. He wrote it in Greek. But what I'm saying is if a person was to write this in Arabic or read it in an Arabic Bible, it would show Assad's real true family last name. So when I saw the beast or the monster or Assad, and it's really talking about here in this context, the the mixture or the hybrid of all the different kingdoms from the Assyrian kingdom, the Babylon kingdom, the Media Persia, the Greek kingdom, the Roman kingdom, the end time Assyrian kingdom. So the hybrid animal beast monster of all the kingdoms that of man that were led by fallen angels. So let's read this. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten crowns, and on his heads were blasphemous names. So all these different heads 
represents seven heads or seven kingdoms of the Assyrian kingdom all the way down to the end time as a hybrid of all those kingdoms mixed together coming down to the end time and blasphemous names. So that is the names of Allah, Yahshua, Yahweh, uh, Jehovah, all those names that compete against the name of Jesus Christ. Those are the blasphemous names that appear on the forehead of the seven-headed beast. So you can imagine seven heads, probably on all seven heads is a different name. On one head is Yah, on another head is Yahweh, on another head is YHWH, on another head is Yeshua, on another head is Allah, so forth. All these blasphemous names. It is a Assyrian beast, therefore it has Assyrian names. Verse 2. And the beast, the monster which I saw, was like a leopard, and his feet was like those of a bear, and his mouth like of a lion. So you got different animals, hybrid, mixed. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads, or one of the kingdoms, as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and follow after the beast. How many people will follow Assad? A few? Half? Or does it say the whole earth? The whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Now that is the majority of everybody alive. The reason that I say majority rather than everyone, when we read the word whole earth, we think of every person, the whole earth. But you're not going to worship him. I'm not going to worship him. And some other true saints of God are not going to worship him or follow him. So it won't be every person but it will be in the majority. So this Greek word for whole here is really just a very general word. It's not a specific word like the word coming. It's not a specific word like the word revealed. Those are specific words with specific meanings. But this word whole in Greek is a very generalized word that really just means majority. It does not mean Every one. But it's definitely a majority. It's going to follow after Assad. Verse 7, they worshipped the dragon, Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast. To Assad. So the Antichrist is not Satan. We see twice here in these verses that Satan grants and gives his authority over to the beast. This is the son of Satan. 
the son of Satan, the son of perdition. So it's, and, and what we call an antichrist, a counterfeit Christ, a counterfeit son of God. And when it says they worship the dragon, are people actually going to be saying um, words of worship specifically to Satan and have acknowledgement of that? No. You're not going to have the majority of people going around saying the words, I worship Satan or hail Satan or anything like that. You're not going to see that. They're going to be worshiping Satan because when they worship Assad, even though he's not Satan, he's the son of Satan, which prefers his worship to Satan. Just like the son of God prefers his worship to the greater measure of himself, the Father. So will Assad, the son of Satan, prefer his worship to Satan in the realm that we do not see. Now, outwardly, he will be manifesting himself as God above all gods. Outwardly, eventually, he won't be preferring his worship to a higher one. But inwardly, he will. Because inwardly, in his mind, in his heart, in the secrets of his soul, he knows who he really is. He knows he's a fallen angel. And he knows that he was sent by Satan. And he knows that Satan gave him his power and his authority and his seat. And he worships Satan. Outwardly, he's going to worship himself and himself only. But inwardly, he knows the truth that he was sent by Satan. And so when they worship him, they're actually going to worship Satan as well. So this ain't going to be a conscious thing. They're not going to be consciously worshiping Satan. But sublinearly, the people are going to be worshiping Satan because the power that he has is satanic power that comes from Satan, even though God gives all this power. God gives Satan his power, and God gives Assad his power. God is in control. God controls all power, all kingdoms, all dominions, even the devil's dominion. God is the ultimate God. God, Jesus, is King of kings, Lord of lords. He controls all of this. God is in control. Remember that. So the devil may think he's in control, Assad may think he's in control, but ultimately, ultimately, there is no power that does not come from.
from God. Now, verse 4, they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast. It's still in the context of the whole world. It's still in the context of the majority of mankind. They're going to outwardly worship Assad. They inwardly worship Satan, but they outwardly worship Assad. Saying, who is like Assad? Who is like Assad? And who is able to wage war with him? We've got to understand that there is a war that brings this about. If you turn your finger, hold your finger there, and look at Revelation 12, verse 7, just the page before. Revelation 12, verse 7, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war uh, with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. So going back to where we was now, they're saying who's able to wage war with him. We've got to understand that before we see the strong delusion, before we see a sod in the sky, there is going to be a major, major Middle Eastern war that will climax to the point to a sod appearing in the sky. Because even the Muslims and the Christians know that Jesus will come back at the Battle of Armageddon. So there's going to be a fake Armageddon, a fake battle, a fake end-time war, because everybody knows that Jesus comes back at the Battle of Armageddon. That is so clear in Scripture. Even the, even the Muslims believe that. Both Christians and Muslims believe that. So you've got to have a fake Armageddon. You've got to have a major war in the Middle East before he can appear in the sky. So what you're going to see is some major world-turning events. It could be that within these next last few months, while Obama is still in office before uh, Clinton takes over as president, that you might see Obama assassinated and that is what brings about the war in the Middle East against Syria. They'll probably, probably blame it on Assad himself or on ISIS, and they say, well, you've killed our president. We have to go to war. Even, even against knowing that Iran will be involved and Russia will be involved you killed our president. We have no choice. Even if Russia and Iran does defend Assad, we have no choice. We have to go to war. And Americans, as ignorant and proudful as most and the majority of Americans are, they will be like, yeah, we have to go to war, even with Russia, even with Iran, because you killed our president. The greatest majority will agree to it if, if that is how it comes about. Now, I'm just saying that is a possibility of how that war comes about. One way or another, 
that war will come about. We will go to war with Assad. And that is what causes Assad to manifest himself at that wartime, saying, claiming that is the Battle of Armageddon and appear in the sky. Now, another possibility of what brings that war about is the collapse of the dams, because God showed me in a dream, Jesus did, showed me in a dream uh, many years ago, uh, the Hoover Dam, and then later he revealed to me through some other people that some other dams will also fall on the same day. Now, this is not an earthquake destroying the dams, but rather it is terror attacks. Perhaps they will blame it on ISIS. Perhaps it really will be ISIS. Perhaps they will blame it on Assad. Perhaps it really will be Assad's. Uh, but however those dams come down, either the dams or the assassination of Obama or both, or maybe even something else, somehow or another, somehow or another, we will eventually go to war directly with Assad. And the type of war I mean is much more than just a few jets. I'm talking about all the battleships and aircraft carriers and troops and everything, a real and true major war in Syria, directly between NATO, the United States, perhaps Turkey involved, Iran involved, Russia involved, a huge war. It will seem like Armageddon. There may even be nuclear weapons used, very likely. And so it was seen like Armageddon. And because he appears in the sky at the time in the midst of the war, it says here that the whole world would say, who is like Assad? Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war with him? Meaning that he won the war. And that even America cannot overthrow him. Verse 5, there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months, that's three and a half years, from that time. From that time, Assad will only have power for only 42 months, not seven years. The Great Tribulation does not last seven years. It's clear as day in the scripture, that the great tribulation, the time that the Antichrist will have power over the earth, the Antichrist will rule the earth and the whole earth will worship him only three and a half years. It doesn't say seven years. Again, the pastors don't know the Bible. In verse 6, and he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name. Well, we know he's not going to blaspheme the Y names. He's going to blaspheme Jesus' name and his tabernacle, his temple, and that is, and, and, and those that dwell in heaven, meaning the angels. The only ones that dwell in heaven is the angels and God. Unless it also means the last 45 days 
when we will be in heaven after the seventh trumpet, then we'll be drawn in heaven. So perhaps it means that time frame as well. Verse 7, it was given unto him, Assad, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Guess what? Assad will overcome the saints. Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. It says it in more than one place. Everybody going around saying, God will protect me, God will protect me, I'm his, God will protect me. Everybody says that. Every Christian says, God will protect me. What about the scriptures that say that the Antichrist will win? That the Antichrist will overcome them? There's another scripture for it too. We'll read it in a minute. We must understand that there's going to be a lot of true Christians, true Christians, that are going to be killed, beheaded. Now, ultimately, we're going to have the victory because even if they kill us and behead us, God will raise us from the dead. Amen. The victory is still ours. It only seems like the Antichrist is going to win. It only seems like that. By appearances, the Antichrist will be winning all around the world. That's where it's going to appear. But sooner or later, we're going to rise from the dead. Amen. When we rise from the dead, we're going to go to heaven for 45 days, and we're going to be taught how to fight. We're going to march in the army of the Lord. We're going to be given white horses, probably with wings, and we are going to come down out of heaven after we have enjoyed a really good meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. And we're going to see Jesus, talk with Jesus, and know Jesus face to face and worship him. And we will bow and worship Jesus Christ and confess that Jesus is Lord. But after that marriage feast and that good meal and being taught how to fight and, and be given our white robes and our white horses, we're going to come out of heaven, down upon the earth, following Jesus as our captain of hosts at the battle, the true battle of the Armageddon, and we're going to come down and wage war against the beast and against the Muslims, against the communists, against the Soviet Union, against Russia, against Iran, against Turkey, against Syria, against all the Antichrist people and the wicked people. And we will win that war. So the Antichrist may win a lot of battles up until that day, but when it comes to true battle Armageddon, 
and the true coming of the Lord and the true coming of the army of God, we're going to win. Amen. We're going to win. Amen. But we've got to understand and comprehend that it's not going to be an easy road. We're going to win in the end, but we're going to have to go through a lot of really hard and difficult times. We do not need to be afraid because we know what to expect. We are preparing our minds about what we're going to see, what we're going to experience, what is going to happen, and why. So we don't have to fear, even if it appears like the enemy is winning. We know that this was coming. We were no, we were told and prepared ahead of time that all of this, all of this, detail after detail after detail, that God knew it was going to happen, and God told us about it, taught us about what to expect, so that when it happens, we won't have to be fearful. We know what's happening, why it's happening, and what's going to happen next. And what's going to happen next, eventually, is we are going to win. Amen. Praise God. Now it says here, in verse 7, it was given to him, Assad, to make war of the saints and to overcome them for a time, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. That means Assad will rule the United States, Canada, Mexico, Puerto Rico, all of Africa, England, Russia, China, Israel, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Nigeria, everywhere. So these people that think they can flee to Puerto Rico, the Bahamas, and go lay on the beach and drink coconut milk and escape the great tribulation, they're fools. You don't have to flee the nation, but you do have to flee into the wilderness. You do have to run into the woods because they're going to come after. They're going to wage war against the true Christians. They're going to wage war against every person that refuses to worship a sod as God. And so we will have to flee into the woods. Now, some people can stay in their house, especially if you live in a very rural area, far away from town, and not many houses around you and so forth. But even then, it could be extremely dangerous. But again, but again, let's remember that not everybody is going to be protected, even if you go into the woods, whether you stay in your house or go into the woods. Either way, some people will die, 
and some people will be protected. And whatever you are ordained for, that is what is going to happen. Amen. So we need to figure out, what am I ordained for? Am I ordained to die for Christ? That would be a high honor. And if we find out or it comes to be that we are ordained to die for Christ, we should feel very honored, very honored to die for Christ. It should not be a scary thing. This life is only temporary for everyone. You're going to die anyway. Everybody dies. Everybody, everybody eventually dies. That's normal life. That's, that's what life is about. Every one of us, we are born, we're children, we get older, we become teenagers, then we become adults, then we become older adults and older and older adults, and then we get old enough, we die. Or we get sick and die. People die in car wrecks. People die of cancer. People die of different things. Sooner or later, everybody dies, except for only those people who are still alive when Jesus comes. Those people will not die as far as, like, getting sick or being in a car wreck or being killed, they won't die. But they still die in the sense that if you're alive when Jesus comes and you're caught up to heaven, your body will be left behind. Because the body says, I mean the Bible says, that no flesh and blood will enter into the kingdom. Your body, your physical flesh and blood, your hands and your feet, cannot enter heaven, even though the Catholic Church says that you do, which is contrary to the Bible. So your body will be left behind. So that body will die, but your soul, your spirit, will still be alive if you're still alive when Jesus comes, and your spirit will lift up out of your body and ascend into heaven. But the point is, if we are ordained to die, we should not fear death because everybody dies sooner or later. It is better to die for Christ than it is to die from cancer. It is better to die for such a special purpose that you belong to Jesus and the enemy has come against you because you represent God. What a high honor that is. Because you truly represent God that the enemy comes to try to kill you. That's a very special thing that you represent true worship of God. So it's a high honor to die for Christ. It's better to die for Christ than it is to die of sickness. But a lot of people 
Christians, true Christians, will be protected. Some people, a lot of people, will be protected by God, but not everyone. And if we were protected by God, that also is a special honor. Either way, if we live for God in the truth and truly worship Jesus as God and truly follow him and obey him and love him and live for him, whether we live or die, let us just follow him. Let us just follow God in the truth, love him and know him. Whether we live or die, it is an honor to know Jesus and live for him. Amen. So it doesn't matter whether we live or die, but, but we should fulfill our destiny and we should do what God leads us to do. And if God wants us to live, then we should not be committing suicide by not doing what he wants us to do. Amen. Verse 8 says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, Assad. Now that word all, again, is a generalized word, meaning the majority. That word all does not mean every single person on earth because you're not going to worship Assad and I'm not going to worship Assad and other true Christians are not going to worship Assad. So the Greek word for all here is a generalized word meaning the majority. So the majority who dwell on the earth will worship him, Assad. That's people you know. People in your family, people in your neighborhood. Let me just make a note real quick here. So it says, verse 8, the majority who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. In other words, God knew ahead of time. Even before he created Adam and Eve, Jesus knew Jesus knew, even before Jesus created Adam and Eve, whether or not you're going to worship the Sod. Jesus created Adam and Eve. And before he created Adam and Eve, and before he created the earth, and before he created you and me and everything that is, he knew who would worship the Sod and who would worship him, Jesus. And it was written down. He wrote down your name and wrote down beside of it 
who you're going to worship. Now, we still have free will. We choose. We choose who to worship. But he knew what choice we would make and wrote it down. He saw the end from the beginning. He knew what choice you would make and wrote it down. So it says that uh, he wrote down, written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. And if anyone has a year, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he will go. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. In other words, we are not to fight back. When it comes to great tribulation and the invaders come and the armies come, we're not to fight these armies. We're not to fight the Russians and the Chinese and the Syrians and the Iranians when they come to invade our land because Jesus is sending them to our land. God is sending them. They are his messengers. They are his instruments of judgment, chastisement, and punishment. We deserve what we get. Just like it says in the book of Revelation, some words we read last week, that an angel says, I think it's what, Revelation 16, that an angel says they deserve it. It says that in the Bible. They deserve it. So why fight back? We are not to fight back against the hand of God. These people are coming as his instruments of judgment. We are not to fight back. Therefore, those that kill with the sword, those that fight back, will be killed. We're not to fight back. Here, it's the perseverance and the faith of the saints, meaning that regardless of the war, regardless of all the false worship, regardless of everything that we see going on, we're to press forward. That word persevere means to press forward. That we're not supposed to just fall back or fall away or lose faith or give up, but we are to press forward, persevere. We're going to get through this. We knew it was going to happen. We knew what to expect. We prepared our minds, or actually God prepared our minds for this. We're getting ready. Amen. We're getting ready for this. God is preparing us that we can comprehend this more and more and more so it won't be a shock, so that we won't be afraid or at least not as much afraid. I believe it's only natural that we're going to have some fear. I believe that the scriptures even teach even the most holy will fear. Even the most holy will have some fear. It's just natural 
for human beings to fear. But we ain't going to fear as much, not even nearly as much. In the midst of great tribulation, we can have a lot of peace, a lot of peace. There was times when I was laying in the tent, when I lived in a tent for seven years, year-round, there was tornado warnings and severe thunderstorms. And many times when the wind would be so tremendously strong, when I thought the tent was going to be ripped up from the ground, it was frightening, truly frightening many times. But I learned to just trust in the Lord that God is in control and what he has promised us, he will bring about. He is faithful to the end. If he has told you that you're going to go to a certain place or be at a certain place or do a certain thing, he is not going to let you die before you go there, before you do that, before you experience what he told you that you would experience. He does not lie. He is faithful. If he truly told you that, which you believe that he told you, if he truly told you you're going to be at a certain time or a certain place or do a certain thing, then it don't matter if an 18-wheeler truck starts coming at you. He is going to bring to pass what he told you he was going to do. And so I learned that at times, yes, sometimes you got to hold the tent down. But other times, just lay in bed and trust God. Just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Amen. And there are times that you may be surrounded. There are times that you may be facing the Red Sea and see no escape. You see, no way out. Where do I go? And the armies are approaching that God told you that you're going to be okay. But yet, it looks hopeless. God will split open that sea. And the waters will split in two and you will cross on dry ground. And God will make a way of escape. If God told you that he would make a way of escape, then he would do so, even if he has to perform a miracle to do it. God is faithful. And what he has promised, he will bring about. This is the perseverance and the faith of the saints, is that regardless of everything we see, that whatever God told us that we are to expect, well, we can expect it. 
that he will fulfill his word. And that we're going to win in the end. And that we can have peace even in the midst of the storm. Even as Jesus was sleeping in the bottom of the boat in the midst of a fierce storm that was tossing the the ship about. The ship was being tossed back and forth in this fierce storm on the sea. And these men who were on the ship, Peter and other men, who were experienced fishermen who knew the sea, knew the ship, knew how to sail, and was very experienced with sailing on the waters and with storms, and were macho men, much, much, much more macho than men are today. These were real men. They were scared to death in that storm. But Jesus slept like a baby in the bottom of the ship. And they woke him up out of his sleep, disturbed him. And he said, are you of little faith? Are you of little faith? So we are not to be of little faith. We are to be of big faith. And he expects us to grow like a mustard seed from little faith to big faith. He does not want us to keep little faith like a mustard seed. That is not what he wants. He wants us to have faith like a mustard seed that grows into a giant tree, Jesus said. That is the kind of faith that he wants us to have, is the faith that grows to a giant faith, huge and strong faith. This is the faith of the saints, it says. Now let's look at Matthew 10. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, verse 11. Matthew chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus said, And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. This is in the context of telling the disciples to go all around the cities and evangelize town to town to town, house to house to house. That is what he was telling those particular disciples to do. And he said, wherever city you go, inquire at the house to see who is worthy. In other words, they were not to stay at just anyone's house, but only in a house of people who they judged to be worthy. In verse 12 it says, As you enter the house, give it your blessing or your greeting. And if the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. That's totally contrary to what most Christians 
think that they should do. Most Christians, and so-called Christians mostly, think that you should be at peace with everybody at all times in all situations, which is impossible and is contrary to the will of God. You are to take back your blessing of peace. You are not to be at peace with Assad. You are not to be at peace with the devil. You are not to be at peace with fallen angels. You are not to be at peace with antichrist religions. You are not to coexist and get along with Muslims, homosexuals, Catholics, Jehovah Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, Baptists, Lutherans, and Pentecostals. If they deny the word of God after you have presented it to them, shake the dust off your feet and have nothing else to do with it. We are to remove our blessings from those people. They have rejected the word of God. When they reject your word, your message, your witness of the truth, they haven't rejected you. They have rejected God, them, God himself. And they are antichrist. And they are enemies of God. And they are enemies of you. And you're not to bless such an enemy. We've got to read the whole Bible, not just one verse. Not just the verse, bless your enemies. But this verse right here that says, do not, or return, remove your blessings. Verse 14, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. That means have nothing to do with them. Truly I say to you, that it would be more tolerable or more mercy or more grace for the land of Sodom and Galora in the day of judgment than for that city. Now you can imagine the judgment of Sodom and Galora, but when you go somewhere and you tell them the truth and they reject it, guess what? God is going to have more mercy and more grace on Sodom and Galore, as wicked as they were, than he is going to have for people that turn down the truth that you have shared with them. Why? It's because these people in Sodom and Galore may have not had so much of an opportunity to receive the truth as these people that you're talking to. The people that you're talking to, they have such a tremendous, huge, grand opportunity to come to accept the truth. You are presenting to them something extremely valuable. You are presenting to them the Word of God, the end-time Word of God. In time revelation, you are sharing with them something more precious than gold. And they are tramping it underfoot. They are 
spitting it back in your face. They are denying it. They are rejecting it. And when they reject the word of God, they reject God himself. It don't matter how much they smile. It don't matter how much money they give you. It don't matter if they gave you a job. It don't matter whether they gave you a car. It don't matter whether it's mommy and daddy. It don't matter who they are. They have rejected God. And they are most likely going to worship Assad. We've got to start really, really, really comprehending how evil people are and how evil these religions are, even our own family. We've got to be willing to sacrifice family. Remember Abraham and Isaac. We've got to be willing to give up husbands, wives, children, grandchildren, parents, brothers, sisters, houses, cars, money, jobs. We've got to be willing to give up anything and anybody that rejects the truth. What is more important? I believe that the majority of people have many gods and that the majority of people serve their parents, their children, their husbands, their wives, and everything else in their lives more than God. I believe that every person I have ever met in my life is still breaking the first commandment that they should have no other gods. This is huge. We need to really, really, really examine ourselves. Who am I putting first? And how much am I holding on to false doctrines? And how much am I still holding on to the traditional way of thinking? And how much am I compromising? We're not to compromise. My own mother used to come to the church services every seventh day. Every seventh day. Every holy day. Every meeting we had, my own mother was here. But she had sin in her life that I had to address And in the Bible, it says that Eli did not correct his own sons. And Eli fell backwards, and God killed Eli. And Eli was the priest of the temple. But because Eli did not address the sins of his own family, his own children, his own sons, 
that he dearly and intensely loved and let them get away with those sins. His sons died and he died. And it was not an honor. It was a disgrace. I had to address the sins of my own mom face to face. And because of that, I no longer speak to her. And she no longer comes to services. And I have forsaken and disfellowshipped my own mom. I have forsaken and disfellowshipped my own brother, my own cousin, my own nephew, my own dad, and my own mom. All of these I have forsaken. All of them. My own dad, mom, brother, nephew, and others. Why? Because God comes first. Who do we love more? We must address sin and not compromise. How much are we compromising? And who do we love most? Now I understand that there are times that we must be long-suffering with certain people. And I was long-suffering for years with my mom and with others. But eventually there comes a time when you must put your foot down. So I understand that this fellowship does not come in one day or in one second. It takes time. And I understand that there are some people that we must be long-suffering with and patient with for many years, maybe decades, And I understand that there are some people that you should never disfellowship. I'm not saying that this is the case with every person. There's not only one person listening today. Not just one person listening. So everybody has a different situation. Everybody is different. Some people are meant to flee. Some people are meant to stay. Some people are meant to die. Other people are meant to be protected. Some people should disfellowship family. Other people should not disfellowship family. My point is that we should examine ourselves. How are we compromising? Are we compromising? How much are we compromising? How much are we holding on to traditional way of thinking Who are we putting first? What are our priorities? So forth. Ask ourselves deep questions and take time to truly and deeply examine ourselves. Because we must realize that there is a time coming that some of our families are going to turn us in. Let's continue to read what it says here. In verse 16, it says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of woods. 
So be shrewd or uh, gentle uh, as, no, shrewd as wise, it means. Be shrewd or wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This means be wise, but be innocent. It don't mean be harmless, but what it does mean is be innocent, free of guilt, as does. But beware of men. We got to beware of men, even our own family, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of the Father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents to cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all. Again, that word all means the majority. You will be hated by the majority because of my name. But it is the one who endures or perseveres to the end who will be saved. In other words, if you don't turn back, if you don't fall away, and you continue to press forward all the way until your resurrection when you are turned to spirit, all the way until judgment day, all the way into the end, if you still not turn your back on the Lord, then the fullness of your salvation will come to reality. You're saved at baptism, but you could always lose that salvation if you turn away, if you turn back, if you fall away. But when it comes to judgment day and new heaven and new earth, and you actually make it into paradise, then will come your salvation in 100% completeness if you make it all the way to the end, to the new heaven and new earth, then you will be fully saved and will no longer be able to lose your salvation. But as long as you live in this flesh, in the days of the great tribulation, it's going to get so bad, and the majority of people are going to be worshiping Assad, even your brother, your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter, people will be worshiping Assad because they saw him come in the sky. And because that you might even see people rise from the dead. They'll be healing the blind and working all kinds of great miracles on this earth, pretending he is God. And you're not going to be able to buy or sell anything unless you worship the saw. And buy the halal mark products. So people will worship him in order that they may eat. People will worship him because if you don't worship him, you'll be put to death. So they will worship him for many, many, many different reasons. Either because they saw him come in the sky, or because of because he's healing the blind and healing the sick, therefore they think he's God. 
or other miracles, bringing far down from heaven, the false prophet, the pope, will be doing most of this stuff. Or because you got to worship him or be killed, or you got to worship him in order to eat, or else you have no food. So many different reasons that the majority of the people are going to be worshiping the Antichrist. And that's why even your own family will be worshiping him. Because, let's face it, most brothers like to eat. Most dads like to eat. Most moms, they like to eat. And so a lot of people will compromise. And they will put the food first. They will put food first. Because they don't want to starve to death. They will put food first. And they will compromise. And when it comes that time and day, will you still will you still not turn away from your own family, even though your own family is surrendering to the enemy? If you see your own mom, dad, or brother surrendering to the enemy during the Great Tribulation, and agreeing to buy the halal food, agreeing to worship Assad, believing that he is God, you should stand in their face and say, I love you, but you have rejected Jesus Christ, and you have chosen to worship a demon over and above Jesus Christ. Therefore, I disfellowship from you and I will never speak to you again. I shun you. I disfellowship from you. I turn my face from you. Yes, I love you because you're my mom, you're my dad, you're my brother, you're my son, but you have denied my God, and therefore I deny you. You are no longer family. God is my family, my true brothers and sisters who will not compromise. They are my family. My true son, you must be prepared to say these things if you see your family worship Assad. And like I said, there will be family that will worship Assad. You may not think so right now. Right now, you may think, no, nah, they will, they won't worship Assad. But when he looks like God and comes in the sky like God, and heals the blind, heals the sick, heals the lame, and it's the only way you can eat, and the law says you must do it, yep, they're going to worship us all. And if that happens, you must be prepared mentally, emotionally, and physically to put God first and disfellowship anybody anyone that supports Assad or the halal mark of the beast at that point of time. So you may not have to disfellowship family right now. In your particular situation, you may not need to right now. But when that day comes, you may need to. And you just need to be prepared if that happens. If that does happen, You need to be prepared to be able to do that. 
It says here in verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and father his child. This is going to happen. This is not what we are already seeing. Yeah, brothers are already killing one another. Parents are already killing children. Children are already killing parents. We always see that. But that's not really what it's talking about. What this is talking about is more extreme. This is talking about people who are turning in family, turning you into the authorities because you refuse to worship Assad. Let's get it in another context, but let's continue to read a few more verses. Verse 23, But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you are not finished going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. In other words, everybody is going to be coming against you. It's going to be the majority. We've got to comprehend it is going to be the majority. If you got 10 family members that you're still talking to right now, chances are nine out of those 10 are going to be worshiping Assad. Can you count 10 family members? Chances are eight or nine out of 10 will be worshiping Assad. That's how extreme it's going to be. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he must he become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul or demonic, how much more would they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that would not be revealed or hidden, that would not be known. God is going to reveal all this to us. Verse 27, what I tell you in darkness, it should be translated secret, what I tell you in secret, speak in the light. So right now, you're the only one that knows this. Amen. Right now, you're the only one in your family that knows what's going to happen. God has told you these things in secret, in darkness. But he says, what I've told you in secret, in darkness, speak in the light, meaning speak in public, meaning go and speak to your family now. Go and tell everyone. It says, what you hear whispered in your ear, and you are hearing it in your ear today, go and proclaim upon the housetops, meaning go tell everybody. This information that you have received today is of such importance that even if they laugh, mock, and ridicule you and think you're crazy and insane, even if it means you get locked up in a mental institution, you need to tell people in order that maybe, perhaps, that we could change that number from eight or nine people of every 10 in your family to only six people out of 10 in your family. If we can change that number from nine out of 10 members of your family to only 
eight or seven members of your family out of ten. Won't that be worth it if just one cousin, one nephew, one brother does not worship Assad because you gave them the warning ahead of time? It will be worth all the you and mocking in the world. Amen. We don't want to disfellowship anyone. We love our family. We love our friends. We don't want them to worship the side. And we don't want to disfellowship anyone. And so, we give our own lives. We give our own lives that they may live. We are willing to take that chance that we might be locked up, put in jail, put in a mental institution. They may disfellowship us first. They may say they may say to us, You're crazy, I'm not talking to you, don't call me. They may disfellowship us first. We're willing to take that risk to save their life to prevent them from worshiping a demon, the Antichrist. Amen. And it says in verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body. Amen. Don't fear them. If they lock you up, or rather they are going to lock you up or not, don't fear that. Don't fear whether or not they're going to kill you that they are unable to kill the soul. You're going to rise from the dead. The victory is going to be yours in the end. But rather, fear him, Jesus, who is able to destroy both the soul and the body, both in Jehina, hell, meaning the lake of fire on judgment day. Cut God first. Don't fear man. Let's go to Ezekiel 38. Now, like I said, Ezekiel 38, there's going to be a war, a great big war, before the strong delusion happens. Now, here's something else that is really important about the war. Now, there's going to be a war before the strong delusion, but guess what? There is also going to be an even bigger war after the strong delusion. Let me explain. Like I said, Either the dams will break or Obama assassinated or something, something to happen to get us into a war with Assad. That's going to be a major Middle Eastern war. Then you'll see the strong delusion. When you see the strong delusion, Assad appearing in the sky, whether you see it on TV or in person, 30 days after that, after Assad appears in heaven, 30 days after that, 
Israel will be invaded. Israel, the tiny nation of Judah in the Middle East, they will be invaded by Russia, China, Iran, Syria, Turkey, and other Islamic and communist nations. It's going to be a great big number of people to invade Israel. And they will be conquered. And they will be occupied. And the Gentiles will take over Israel. Israel will not win that battle. But they will win the war at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes back. Just like the saints. We may not win all the battles, but we win in the end. The same with Israel. They're going to lose a lot of battles. But the end, Israel win in the very end. Now, reading about that uh, war that comes 30 days after the strong delusion. Ezekiel 38, verse 1. And the word of the Lord, originally it said, the word of G, came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Moscow, and Tobal, and prophesy against him. This is prophesying against the president of Russia. Now, the president of Russia is not the son of perdition. Assad is. But the president of Russia, the prince of Rosh, Moscow, and Tobal, he supports Assad, and he worships Assad. And he defends Assad. And the president of Russia and the Russian nation is going to be like the biggest military arm, the muscle of Assad. It already is. We already see this coming to pass. We already see that Russia is defending Assad. We already see that. So this is a prophecy against the president of Russia. It says, prophesy against him, verse 3, and say, thus say of the Lord G, behold, I'm against you, Putin. I'm against you, O God. Prince of Rosh, Moscow, and Tabal, I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaws and will bring you out, all of your army, horses and horsemen, all of them splendidly attired, and a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding swords. This is symbolic, prophetic, symbolic language, talking about the Russian army and all their tanks and their jets and all their armor. This is what it's talking about. And their missiles and so forth. Verse 5, Persia. Persia is Iran. Ethiopia and Pute with them and all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his troops. These are agent names of nations. Gomer and all his troops, back to Garwal and the remote parts of the north and all his troops, many people with you. Now, there's a big debate about who is who and this is who and that's who and different people tell you different things. It really don't matter. Uh, Beth to Garman, I believe, might be Turkey. But it really don't matter as long as we understand that it's going to be not just one nation, but it's going to be many nations coming against Israel. 
30 days after the strong delusion. Uh, some people on the internet may have been disconnected, so I'm going to just make sure that everybody is still connected. Okay, looks like everybody's still connected. Okay, so and it says here in verse seven. Uh, well, before I continue to read. I want to explain this. That what came to me today was uh, previously I had been thinking that when we see Israel, the land of Judah, invaded, it could be months or maybe up to a year before America, before America would be invaded. That was my previous thing. Now, we must understand that America is not a Gentile nation. We might have a lot of Gentiles living here, but we're not a Gentile nation. America is an Israelite tribe. We are the tribe of Manasseh. There is no doubt about that at all. Because Genesis, the book of Genesis, if you look at, I think it might be Genesis 38, I'm not for sure. But anyway, wherever it is in Genesis where the old man Jacob, who God had renamed Israel, he was on his deathbed. His son Joseph came to his deathbed. And Joseph had two sons named Manasseh and Ephraim. Well, Joseph, I mean Israel, old man Jacob named Israel uh, embraced his two grandsons Manasseh and Ephraim as being his own son. He kind of adopted them. And he gave a blessing on the deathbed to these two grandsons. And he blessed them and promised them that their descendants would become a great multitude of nations and a great nation. That Ephraim, the boy Ephraim, that his descendants, talking about the end time, would become a great multitude, a commonwealth of nations. Talking about the British commonwealth, which includes South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. But he blessed the other grandson named Manasseh that his children in the end time would become a great nation. So you had a multitude of nations, a commonwealth, and a great nation. We know that the British commonwealth and America are brothers. We are of the same family. We are English. We are British people. We are of the same bloodline as the nation of England. We are the same bloodline of the nation of Israel. We are of the same bloodline of the nation of Australia and New Zealand and South Africa. We are of the tribes of Israel. We are Israelites, not Gentiles. This is extremely important has nothing to do with our salvation. 
but extremely important to the understanding of end-time Bible prophecy. We cannot, cannot, it's impossible to understand what's going to happen to America in the end times if we do not accept that we are Israel, that we are one of the tribes of Israel. If we don't understand that, then we cannot understand that we're going to be invaded. Because if you read Ezekiel 38 here, this chapter, and think that we are not Israel, well, then we don't have to worry because Russia and China won't invade Israel. I mean, they won't invade us. They won't invade America. If we think that we're not Israelite, then we don't have to worry. But if we realize that we do have the promises of God, that he gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Manasseh, and Ephraim, that we would become the great nation and the multitude of nations that are the descendants of the tribes of Israel, that we are Israel, we are Israel, us Americans, Australians, New Zealanders, South Africans, so forth. We are Israel. Then when it says here in this chapter that Israel will be invaded, that means we will be invaded. The United States will be invaded. Australia will. England will. New Zealand will. South Africa will. Canada will. Denmark will. Scotland will. So forth. We understand this only because that we know that we are Israelites, not Gentiles. So that is a key to understanding Bible prophecy, a major key, a very major and necessary key to understanding Bible prophecy. So with that understanding, verse 7 says, be prepared, talking about Russia, Russia, you should be prepared and prepare yourself, you and all your companies, that means your, your military units that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be summoned. In the latter years, you will come into the land, talk about America and Israel, that is restored from the sword. Now, how is America restored from the sword? We are restored from the Civil War, from World War One, from World War Two, from, from Vietnam, from Korea, from the Gulf War, from the Revolutionary War, so forth. We have been restored from the sword, from many different wars, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations. Well, that fits America. We're the melting pot of the world, that many inhabitants of our nation have been gathered uh, from the world. Mm gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel. Now, that word mountain in symbolic, prophetic language in the Bible means nations or kingdoms or empires. <clears throat> so this is not talking only about uh, hills 
This is prophetic language. That means uh, that there's more than one nation of Israel, which we already know if we look at what Jacob did on his deathbed, then we should know that there is more than one nation, meaning more than one tribe of Israel. This is also to understand that we are Israelite and not Gentile. It is also important to the keeping of the seventh day and the feast days because many people will say, well, we don't have to keep the seventh day and we don't have to keep the feast days because we're not Jewish. But there's no words in the Bible that says that only the Jews should keep the seventh day or only the Jews should keep the feast days because it says that it's for all of Israel and all the tribes of Israel and all the descendants of Israel. So that would include America. So it's important for that too. But it's not just for the Israelites. It's for the Gentiles too. Because in Zechariah 14, it says that even Egypt must keep the festival of tabernacles. Even the Gentiles must keep it. The book of Acts said even the Greeks were keeping the feast or or the festival or whatever holy day that was uh, in the book of Acts. So it's not just for the Israelites, but most people think it's only for the Jews, which there's, there's nothing in the Bible saying it's only for the Jews. It says all of Israel all the trials of Israel, all the descendants and all the generations and descendants and your sons and their sons. So that would include America. So it's important for that reason too. Now it says uh, mountains of Israel, meaning tribes or meaning nations, many nations of Israel, not just one nation of Israel, which has been a continual waste, meaning at one point of time through all the different wars that we were restored from those wars, but it's and it says and its people were brought out of the nations, which were a great melting pot, and they are living securely. All of them, meaning, if you look at America, most Americans think that we're secure. They're under that false delusion that America would never fall, that America would never be invaded. So they're living securely in that false delusion of peace and safety. Verse nine, you president of Russia, will go up and you will come like a storm and you will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your troops and many peoples, meaning many nations with you. So this is a prophecy of Russia coming to America and Judah and other many nations. Now, Like a storm is a prophetic language. It also refers to the Assyrian, to Assad. So it won't be only the president of Russia. It will be many nations coming against many nations. Even in World War I and World War II, in both of those world wars, it wasn't just one nation against one other nation. It was many different nations against many other nations different nations. Study your history of World War One. Study your history of World War Two. In both of those world wars, it was many nations against many other nations. 
And World War III will be no different. Uh, it will be many nations against many nations. So this symbolic language of a storm refers to not only Russia, but also Syria, because he is the storm in Isaiah, to come against America. Now, what I'm, now, like I said before, my previous thinking was it could be months or maybe up to a year after the strong delusion and after Judah is invaded before America would be invaded. But now I'm thinking differently. It came to me today that this does not refer to two different waves of attack. It doesn't seem like it. Re- it doesn't seem like it's referring to. If you continue to read the whole chapter and other scriptures and other places, Daniel and Revelation talks about the same war. Micah talks about it. Isaiah talks about it. Ezekiel talks about it. Jeremiah talks about it. It's all throughout the Bible. And if you read all these scriptures, it doesn't seem, except for maybe only Jeremiah, but mostly it doesn't seem like there it comes in two waves. It seems like it's one big attack all at the same time against all the mountains of Israel. So what I'm thinking is it's possible. It's possible. And we need to prepare our minds for the possibility that 30 days after we see the strong delusion of Assad in the temple of God in heaven, that not only Judah, the tribe of Judah and Israel in the Middle East will be invaded, but it's possible, very possible, that America will be invaded on the same day only 30 days after the strong delusion. Not months, not a year, not two years, but on the same day, it's possible that America would be invaded on the same day as Israel. And if that is so, then we need to be prepared for it. And We need to be prepared at least for the possibility of that. This would make plenty of sense because if they don't attack America at the same time as they attack Judah, then the Russians are smart. And uh, I can't really say Muslims are smart. I mean, I have to tell the truth, but Russia is smart. And they know that if they don't attack America at the same time, America will, of course, come to defend Israel. We're already going to have battleships and troops and everything there. At that time, of course. So they know they've got to take America out at the same time. If they want to win against Israel, against Judah, they have to attack America at the same time. That's just military logic. And it doesn't seem like 
that there's two waves or two stages of attack. It doesn't seem like that they attack only Judah first and then time passes and then, then they attack the rest of Judah or the rest of Israel later. It doesn't seem like that in the Scripture. Now, it could be like that, but it doesn't seem like that in the Scripture. We need to be prepared for the possibility that America will be invaded very soon now. Very soon. Now, we do need to see the war in the Middle East come first. We have to see that happen first before any of this happens. So that strong delusion is not going to be tonight. That strong delusion won't be tomorrow. That strong delusion probably won't even be in the month of of, uh, August. But... We could see the dams fall soon. We could see uh, the attack on Obama soon. We don't know when these things are going to happen. So we could see something in America soon. In the month of August is possible. The month of September is possible. The month of October is possible. As possible in November, December, January, or February, March, April, or May. It's possible any time over the next year, at any moment. It only takes one second for everything to change. We don't know when it's going to be. We got to be ready and prepared. And when we see the events happen in America against Obama or the Dems or something else to bring us into that Middle Eastern war against Assad, directly a Syrian war, a Middle Eastern war against Assad, then we can expect for things to rapidly deteriorate. We can expect for things at that point to start really happening quick and get our stuff ready wherever we're going to be. Whether we will flee or whether we will stay in our homes, whatever we're going to do, when we see these things start happening to propel us to war in the Middle East, we better really, really get really serious at that time because It will all happen very, very, very quickly from that point on. We'll see the strong delusion very quickly after that. We'll see the invasion of Israel very quickly after that, and maybe even the invasion of America on the same day as the invasion of Judah, or perhaps in the days or weeks or a month or two after that. And when the invasion comes, then brothers and sisters and people and families and friends and neighbors will turn against us even more because they're going to be torturing your family. They'll be torturing your friends and your neighbors for information against you. They're going to be asking your family and friends what you believe. 
and where you're located and what kind of supplies you got. They're going to be questioning families and friends and bribing them with food and gas and supplies and generators and gifts. They'll be threatening their lives and so forth. And brother will portray brother and father, sons and daughters and so forth. And that prophecy will come to pass in that manner as well. Okay, well, I know this is a lot to take in. Uh, Let's see if there's anything that I skipped, and I'm going to be answering any questions that you may have also. So if you have any questions, go ahead and email me right now, and I will check my email really quick and get those questions and answers on the air. And let me see if there's anything that I missed here. Yeah, we need to be getting the word out about this. And because we are all poor and everybody that listens to this broadcast is poor, there's only so much that we can do. Uh, But we've got to do what we can do. Uh, We can talk to family and friends. We can share the website. We can give them a flyer. Uh, And perhaps maybe even copy out the flyers about the strong delusion and maybe even hand it out in the community. We can stand on the street corners and and give it to people pass by. We can, uh, if uh, if there's local events, fairs, and so forth, any kind of local events in our community, we can go to those local events and stand on the sidewalk and distribute flyers to people. As long as we're on the sidewalk, we're on public property, and we have the right of the freedom of religion and freedom of speech to distribute distribute these religious flyers uh, and and distribute this information to the people. We can also go through the parking lots and so forth and put the flyers on people's cars, on their uh, uh, windows, windshield under the windshield wipers, so forth. I do that all the time. Uh, I encourage you that if you do put the flyers on the windshield, uh, under the windshield wipers, that you uh, fold the flyers in half. That makes the flyer a whole lot easier to uh, put under the windshield wiper. It makes the flyer more controllable in your hands. It makes it smaller by by folding the flyer in half. It makes the flyer smaller and more manageable to where you control it, control that flyer to get it under that windshield wiper faster and easier and smoother so that you can move to the next car and the next car quicker and shorter if you would uh, uh, fold the flyers in half before you get there. So you have all your flyers already folded in half before you get to where you're going to distribute. Uh, Now, you don't need to fold them in half if you're going to stand on the sidewalk, I'm talking about how to put them on cars. Um, and I would recommend only putting them on only a few cars at one location at a time. If you're going to stand there and put them on 50 cars, probably somebody's going to come out and 
and yell at you. So I would only put like three cars here, four cars there, ten cars here, ten cars there, five cars here, five cars there, different parking lots, different days. One thing I do is if I go to the grocery store, I will many times just put one just on the car next to me uh, on my way in or on my way out, something like that. And so you could just do it uh, like that every time that you run to the store, every time you go somewhere, uh, that you can just put a, one or two there, here and there. Another thing I do is when I go to these places uh, outside the stores, some of the stores have these free uh, newspapers, free magazines that people can take. Some of these magazines is like where people uh, are advertising, they're selling their cars, or they're selling their houses, real estate magazines, or car magazines, whatever. And some of them may be local news, and they're like free editions of the newspaper, different community uh, papers that are distributed free in your community. And they're just laying in a free rack outside a grocery store. You can insert a flyer in there. Uh, in several of those. So when people take the free magazine, then they're getting the flyer inside and they won't know it till later when they get home. So forth. Things like that. Another thing you can do is if you go get a newspaper out of a vending machine, you pay for that newspaper that you're getting and you insert a flyer in the rest of the newspapers before you shut the door. You're not stealing any of the newspapers. You're just putting a flyer and the other newspapers before you shut the door after you buy your own newspaper. So that's a possibility, and there's other possibilities as well. Uh, the Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you about where and how to distribute this and to share this information with other people. We are to get this information out because this is huge and important information. Very important that this information get out there to the people. Let me check uh, emails real quick. And I don't see any. And I will turn on the phone lines then and see if I have any emails, I mean, anybody over the phone that, uh, okay, uh, the person in Wisconsin. Now, as I turn on the Internet and the phone lines to see if you have any questions, I really ask you and encourage you to try to refrain from saying anything positive about me. <laughs> uh, because although I appreciate people's uh, support and encouragement, there are a lot of people out there that misunderstand. And when they hear people say positive things about me, they think that you're lifting me up, which I know that you're not doing. You're just trying to encourage me. But for the sake of other people who may misunderstand, I just really encourage people to, to really focus on your questions what questions that you may have, if you have any. If you don't have any, you can just say that you don't have any. But I will, uh, I will turn the phone line on for the person in Wisconsin. Okay, hi there. I hope hi, you're having hi. A, Yeah, I hope you're having a good seventh day. Thank you. 
Um, somebody um, asked me, the people that do worship a saw, which is the majority of the world, um, what happens to them? And I didn't know how to answer that. So that was the one question I would have liked just to get clarification on. Okay, let me make sure I understand the question. Uh, uh-huh. Is it asking what will happen to like the people if they're going to be going? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Is it is the question what's going to happen to the people who keep the Sabbaths? No, the people who worship a Sabbath, which is the majority of the world, if oh. they're gonna if they're gonna be going to, um, they're not gonna be with Jesus forever. Okay, the people that worship Assad. Yeah, yeah, like what, what's going to be their eternal life? And I didn't know, um, I just wanted to make sure I got clarification on how to answer that. <laughs> okay, thank you yeah. for that question. Um, the people that uh, are going to worship Assad, which is the majority of the world, yeah. now some of them will eventually repent. Because during the tribulation, God is going to be sending judgment during the tribulation uh, through the war, uh, lack of food, so forth, a lot of different ways that God will try to get people to repent. And some people will repent. Uh, And in fact, the Bible says that eventually there will also be a really large number of people who will come to worship Jesus. There will be a lot of people during the tribulation that will repent, that will truly get saved, will be baptized, and that when Jesus actually really does come, then they will be with Jesus, and they will go to heaven, they will live forever, it will be very good. So there's going to be a large number of people that's going to repent and really get saved during the tribulation. So at the first of the tribulation, when these wars first happen, and when Assad first appears in heaven, it will be the majority of the people worship Assad. But that's going to change because a lot of people over the years, over the next three and a half years after that happens, um, uh, they're going to start realizing how uh, evil and wicked Assad is. And they're going to get sick and tired of seeing the death and the destruction and the sickness. Uh, and it may take some time. Uh, some people, it will only take a few days or a few weeks or a few months. Some people, it may take a year or two. But eventually, a lot of people are going to get tired of worshiping Assad and repent. Not everyone. Got it. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm glad you asked that question because there is hope. Yes. Yeah, amen. There is hope. Amen. Uh, because the people are going to get tired of Assad. They're going to figure him mm. out eventually. Now, some people, the most wicked people, they will continue to worship Assad. So yeah. those people, those people that don't repent and they continue to worship Assad and they don't get saved, well, most of those people 
will die during the tribulation, and they won't go to heaven, and they won't be caught up in the first resurrection. They will simply die uh, from starvation or from war or from disease or something or another during the tribulation, and they will stay dead for a thousand years. Now, after the thousand years is over, those same people who did not repent and they were worshiping Assad, they would come back to life after the thousand years. And they were just asleep, dead asleep during that thousand years. But they come back to life, and they were given a new body that they can live in, their new flesh and blood body, for 100 years here on oh. this earth. And during that 100 years, Isaiah 65 and the book of Revelation chapter 20, talks about that the devil be loosed, let go out of his prison, out of the bottomless pit, to go and deceive the nations again. So those people that just came back to life in the second resurrection, living for that hundred years in flesh and blood bodies, they will have a chance another hundred years to try to repent. Wow. And either, either they will repent or they won't. Now, at the end of the hundred years, time will be up. Got it. At the end of that hundred years, there will come the great white throne judgment day, and God will separate, Jesus will separate uh, people on the left and people on the right. And the people on the left are those people that still has not repented, and they will be thrown into the lake of fire, and they will be burnt, and they will die. They will actually die and cease to exist, and they'll never live again, and they'll never be risen, rose from the dead ever again, and they have no more of a chance. They will simply die in the lake of fire. But the people on the right, these are people that did repent during that hundred years, and they will be turned to spirit and live forever on the new heavens and the new earth in paradise. Okay, is there any other questions? No, thank you very much. Okay, I thank you for your question. Okay, now I'm going to turn on the... uh, uh, internet part where it is on TalkToYou.com for this person that is connected to the internet that's going by the name Serving for Him, and I'm not for sure who you are. You may be the same person I just talked to, or you may be a person I know in New York or in Tennessee. I'm not for sure. And I'm not for sure if you're able to talk. You may not have a microphone, but Serving for Him If you have a microphone and if you want to ask any questions, you're welcome to ask. Okay. So that person hung up. And then we have guest number five. And I know you've just come to the room just a few moments ago. But I would give you an opportunity uh, to ask any questions. If you have a microphone, guest number five, if you have any questions.
Okay, I do not hear anything. And so uh, let me check my emails one more time and see if there's any emails that have come in. And let me check my text messages. And I do not do not see any other questions. So what we'll do is I just let people know, especially guest number five, that I appreciate you coming into the room. And I appreciate everybody that have listened to the broadcast. And you're listening to the live uh, seventh day services of I Saw the Light. Ministries.com. I saw the light ministries.com. We are here every Saturday at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time every Saturday. I really encourage you to check out the ministry website, I saw the light ministries.com. Now, I know that the things I share today and the things I share uh, is they sound strange. They sound different. And in fact, a lot of times they don't sound true because you've never heard them before. And they're completely different from what any religion, any church, any pastor, any denomination teaches. So I don't expect you to just automatically believe what I say. I don't want you to automatically believe what I say. I just encourage you to read the scriptures in prayer, in fasting, in deep examination, to really examine what you believe and why, and to really examine the scriptures and take your time to do so, to really test the Spirit, examine the scriptures. And the website is just meant to point you to the scriptures. It's not meant to be, thus saith Pastor Tim, It is meant to point you to the scriptures, to what does the Lord say? What does the scriptures say to help you, uh, help guide you in your Bible studies? Um, What we've been talking about today mostly is the strong delusion of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you have missed uh, a lot of this broadcast, just give the internet five or ten minutes after we hang up, give TalkShoe.com a chance to uh, reboot, then you can go back into the website on TalkShoe.com or even on the ministry website and start from the beginning and you can listen to this broadcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, the rest of your weekend, and that you have a really good week next week as well. Thank you so much. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.